and welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. I'm your host, Daniel Colburn. Today's episode is brought to you by Great Value. Great Value. Uh, Caleb, Thank you, Great Value, for sponsoring the show. Caleb, if I'm being honest, the audio is all fucked up. Um, the what? The, my audio is all fucked up. Give me a second. Oh, man. Well, we're running the show, so I'm going to keep keep going here okay um uh, well i'm hearing you in like a weird echoey way Just, all right well uh, you figure that out and yep. i'm gonna tell the people uh some stories here starting okay. with uh we'll, we'll play the what's on my desk game we have a stack of off-screen magazines you ever heard of those dan cole i have never heard of off-screen um pretty cool it's a like a i don't know if it's a web developers magazine or just like a technology programmer-ish e magazine but they come in these books okay and they're very well done um so i ordered so like a for set the listener i'm seeing like a nicely illustrated kind of like yeah uh, high production value sort of yeah. booklet type magazine yes and it's like very copy forward like i don't think there's a single ad in here there are yeah. there is a list of sponsors um are these expensive actually, no i don't remember what i paid but they're not that expensive and oh there was a good there's a base camp ad in here um the ads are all very tasteful and let me it's like i don't know it's kind of fun let me see if i can find it our sponsors yep so basically every sponsor like these are the sponsor pages you know Mm -hmm. in the magazine it's very Mm -hmm. not like littered with um okay base camp oh this is interesting so it's a full text ad and basically it just lists so there's it's full text it's like it's like they literally put this in yeah you know what all these ads are just text so they you're submitting like a text pad page like a, almost like a poem yeah and so the other ones have like paragraphs you know um, but they all have to be like very purposeful about having a voice and standing out with pure text so Basecamp's is before Basecamp colon and then a bunch of hyphens for a line underneath Mm-hmm. Email, spreadsheets, Google Docs, napkin notes, Asana, Trello, Slack, Jira, Evernote, whiteboards, calendars, phone calls, text Monday, just remembering things, sticks on a wall, meeting after meeting. And then there's a big space. And then after Basecamp, just Basecamp. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of fun. fun. Anyway, and this one has Seth Godin in it, which is a really good interview with Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. And like he's one of the only names I recognized in this issue. So I went right to him. I started reading. Turns out the dude grew up half an hour from my house buffalo yes his whole life like his entire life he spent a half an hour from my house which is very interesting maybe you'll run into him on the street around thanksgiving maybe he's from the same neighborhood that rob gronkowski's from the Uh, east amherst like north towns kind of uppity neighborhood you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so anyway all right so you're back i'm back okay um thank you for hanging in there folks yeah uh i'm doing really well dan cole how are you great i'm good um i'm hanging out i stayed up really late last night because i like caught a caught a like roll on some code that i'd been like unable to catch wind in my sails on for like two days Mm. you know like i would get some stuff done but it was like slow going and just like just i felt like i was refactoring code that it wasn't finished you know what i'm talking about yeah you're like and you're just like And then just like last night around midnight, it was just like, and so I just stayed up super late, knocked it out. Um, and now I'm vibing. Vibing. Nice. 
Yeah. Yeah. What you had some tweet. Um, what was the tweet? I'm addicted to early returns and late nights. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. The early returns, like, it's so opinionated sometimes where like in a situation where it's like, so it's like a view component, right? Where you can check, um, like what day do you want to look at? Right. And it's like today, tomorrow, yesterday overdue is an option. So it's like all these, it's this list of tasks that you need to complete basically. Right. Yeah. And you can say like, show me the ones where the due date is today. Show me the due dates where tomorrow, show me the one where the due dates yesterday. Show me the ones that are overdue or show me the one where the due date is between two dates. Yep. Right. And so it's like a radio buttons, but then one of the radio buttons has a date picker inside of it. Gotcha. To select a range. Right. So it's like an interesting, like, how do you, how do you organize and submit this request? Right. Yep. Um, and, uh, Anyway, what I ended up doing was saying, like, okay, every request has a start and end date. Um, for the ones where it's today, they're the same. Um, for the ones where it's tomorrow, well, for the way, ones where it's a single day, they are the same, right? Okay. For the ones where it is overdue, the start date is null, but there's just an end date. Yep. Um, and for the ones in the range, you just pass in the start and end date. So I had to have, like, a computer prop in view. Yeah. That basically like deduced what the start and end date to pass along to the request were. Um, okay. And it was based on these like keys of like today, yesterday, tomorrow, overdue, range. Right? Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like you can do a switch case, you can do a bunch of ifs, you can do whatever. But I just did like early return one liners in, uh, in JavaScript where it was like if this is this return this if this is this return this if this is this return this and it was all the one-liners so i didn't use the curly braces it was just oh yeah you know what i'm saying oh yeah oh yeah And just like a block of those like inside of a function where that's all that is just looks very nice to me Mm -hmm. it's my preferred way to do it i know some people are like deeply anti-early return but no they're out there yeah no i think they're just contrarians maybe i don't know yeah go early returns and late early returns that's yeah. a good time. Are you using Vue in the way, uh, like, in the new way? Are you using Vue 3? I'm using Vue 3. And are you using, like, like, are you using um, setup functions for everything? And, like, no. okay. So you're doing it in kind of a standard, like, data methods, computed yep. kind yep. of way. Yep. Okay. Have um, you seen this We're new not way? doing, but this is an SPA, too. So it's also, like, Vue router and everything. No, I haven't really seen the new way. Tell me about the new way a little bit. It's kind of interesting because I'm encountering it from the opposite end, from somebody kind of like doing a lot of Vue.js core source diving and using the reactivity engine for everything Uh in Alpine. uh Um, So I was surprised to find, I kind of just assumed that Vue 3 looked the same as Vue 2, but under the hood used all of this different syntax. Yeah. And uh, that is not the case. It actually exposes it all and is sort of becoming the idiomatic way of using Vue, I think. Again, this is not coming from a person writing Vue every day. It's coming from a person who ends up on the Vue docs occasionally and who sees other people's Vue components. And and I'm seeing that like, oh, this is the equivalent of React moving from classes to functions. Mm -hmm. Is Vue moving to the setup functions where you do 
everything in setup um and you use like you know the the reactive utilities that view exposes that i'm using in alpine you just use them for yourself in view you can create an effect really easily you can use refs like a lot of ref usage um that i've seen people use and yeah that and then, stuff always i really hate that stuff about view interesting like specifically like refs and the no sorry that... i'm not talking about template refs oh yes yeah, kind of a what do you mean by ref? choice uh reactive refs basically like how to make a primitive value reactive so that oh i see when you change the primitive something reacts and it's so a ref is basically an object that has a value property uh-huh but is a reactive object and view yeah, just yeah. treats it like a primitive everywhere you use it but anyway um very interesting to just see like view components that look nothing like the view that I used to use with Does view 2. Does it look good? Um, I don't think it necessarily looks good. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think I, I like it because... I thought because... you were going to say, I don't think it necessarily looks bad. But you, no, you did. You went, <laughs> yeah. I think it looks it, like shit. All right, it cool. looks more functional and freeform. Yeah. Just the same way that functional components in React do. But I think it's the same. It's pretty much the same cost-benefit analysis, I think. You know? Word. Yeah. Yeah. There's things in view that I don't like, man. Like what? Just like emitting events to move up the chain is the main one. Okay. Instead of, like, I prefer passing in handlers in React. Well, you can still to... do that in view. Can you? Totally. That's not the idiomatic way to do it, for sure. You can't pass a function as a prop in view. You, maybe you, you can. Totally I've just can. never 100%. tried it because it's just not the idiom. Like, it's not the way that you're taught to do it. Yeah, you know? it is less idiomatic. Right, yes. You're saying where you emit an event for the immediate parent. Yeah, so like in the, then, in the like yeah, delete a component thing that we just did in Livewire, if yeah. I needed to emit an event to the parent to say, like, remove this from the list of things. Right, yeah. Like, and then that's how you would do that in view. In, on the component as a Yeah, you would, go, you would say at, at delete. right. Yeah, so you can pass, I mean, I could be wrong again. It's been like a year since I've written any view, but you can pass down methods from a parent for sure. Functions. Word. <clears throat> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, anyway, I don't like that. I don't like, I mean, I do like computer props. Computer props are sick. Um, and what makes them sick to you? like what to you is better about a computed prop and just a method is it solely that you don't need to call it yeah that you treat it as a thing basically like just it has the nothing to do with the of, like value caching stuff yeah. that stuff's that i mean that stuff is cool and it's like a nice like, but like added who benefit. gives a crap like yeah. it doesn't really it doesn't impact matter. you in any meaningful way but like no what's cool about it is that this is a piece of data and yeah. i want to be able to give it a variable name and use it like a variable yeah. and i can Right. This is, uh, I mean, and this is kind of a fun thing that Alpine has the equivalent of computed properties um, mm -hmm. with getters, which is just because JavaScript objects allow you to make getters, you know, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, yeah. say like get thing and set thing, which I think is, a mu I mean, I like it. I like it better mm -hmm. than having a dedicated syntax for computed. But of course, you sacrifice the, um, you know, with view, you get all that memoization out of the box. But yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I ever tangibly benefited from it in my life. So, but yeah, computer props are nice. Um, watchers are so much worse than, um, than just like use effect hooks. 
Well, so here's the thing there, Deke. So in view three, it's called watch effect, uh-huh. which is very interesting because the react views reactivity core exposes a function called effect. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a watch. I don't know if it exposes a watch, but I created my own watch because you can do that. You can create a watcher with a with yeah. a views effect or effect. But um, but when I'm reading view sort or view code that other people are writing, I'm seeing this watch effect used in the same way. It turns out that you never import effect from view in your view component. You import watch effect. And watch effect just accepts a callback and you just run whatever you want. And it just knows the dependencies and reruns it when a dependency changes. Really? Which is what Alpine... So in Alpine V3, this is so crazy, dude, because like... Here was my journey. My journey was like... And that's because those dependencies are refs. No, they're just reactive. You, it, it would know if a ref is is reactive, so yes, if the dependency is, is a ref. But the dependency oh. could just be a reactive could object. Could be reactive in other ways, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you can just do something in an effect, in a watch effect, and it'll just rerun when any of the dependencies change. That's sick. Which is exactly what Alpine I uses try that under the hood. In my com- current component. because So here's why I was saying it sucks, right? So I have a situation where like I have a, a table full of things, right? And then I have three different filters on that table of things, yeah. right? And if any of those things change, yep. I need to call the fetch new things based on the current filter status yeah. thing. Right. And so there isn't a way in view to just say, watch these three things. And if any of them changes, do this yeah. in the old like watchers paradigm. Yeah. Right. So I have to have three separate watchers that all do the exact same oh thing. Oh my gosh. And it's you have so to fire stupid. them initially. Right. So, right. Like you, like a, when you register a watcher, it doesn't call the watch method. Right. right, right. Away. So you have to have a mounted. There's so many mounted slash watch situations where you have to do it on mounted and then also yeah. do it if something changes. Dan Cole, watch effect is the cure for everything. Good. Which I want to make a full note that in Alpine, the new equivalent. Oh man, we're just giving everything away here. The new equivalent would be X effect that you just pass. You can't anything. talk too much about this. People, are, you got to get the people's money. I know. You're right. Um, go to Alpine Day and hear me and watch me show X effect. But here's the equivalent Day. of view. The benefit. So I encountered all these benefits sort of as I went. Mm-hmm. And then I started documenting them for the Alpine 3 docs. And I was like, well, effect works is a much better alternative than watch in most ways, except for these two. Like here are the pros, here are the cons. And then I, I ended up in the view docs recently and looked. They have a whole reactivity page. It's a really good read. And, and they go, they basically document the exact thing, which is crazy. But anyway, the pro con for the watch effect. So what you need to do, Dan Cole, is you literally write watch effect, pass in a callback. And in that callback, you would do like, let results equal await fetch some URL, right? Mm -hmm. That let's say that URL uses those three parameters, like as a payload. Yep. That you need to be watching for. So that's it. And the nice thing about watch effect, it will run right away. So you don't have to worry about the mount and then watcher scenario. It'll run right away and it'll rerun every time any of the dependencies change. So go ahead and replace your code with watch effect today. It's so good. The only con to watch effect, the two cons, A, you have to run the code right away. 
So there are lazy effects, but we're not going to get into that. You have to run the code right away. Where if you need, if you want to evaluate the code lazily, but still trick be triggered on a specific dependency, then you have to use a watcher. Right? Makes sense. No. So let's say that there's a scenario where you don't like you don't want that fetch to happen right away. Right. So that Only is the actually, first time something that changes. That is actually what I want. Oh. You don't want to do the fetch call right away? Right, because I have to, because this is an SPA, I have to actually fetch something else first. Okay. So I have to, one of the, so it's it's three filters, right? One is like time zone, one is uh, whatever, and then the other one is employee. Okay. And so I have to first go fetch the list of employees. Sure. Then set the default value of that employee. Okay. You know gotcha. what I'm saying? And you can't do all of this in the effect no you couldn't no because then i would have to refetch the employees every time a dependency right. changes could you declare like the in the code like let's say in your mount method you're doing await fetch employees by employee uh-huh. id and then the line after that you're doing um and i also don't remember how view works so i don't know if you can even use or you should use await. i don't know it's suspense story you at the moment but, yeah okay so you say await fetch users thing Mm-hmm. employees and then right after that you would say watch effect and then call the api for the where am i calling this watch effects right after you fetch mount? the but like inside of sure. mount like okay. totally you could call it anywhere gotcha okay gotcha gotcha gotcha, yeah. gotcha. but so then yeah your, then that would work yes but to your point like whatever let's just imagine we came up with a scenario that you don't want to call it right away then you would want to use a watcher where you're watching a a dependency and then running code mm-hmm. and the other thing is watchers provide you the old value you know they when something changes when a dependency changes mm-hmm. it gives you the new value oh, and then so the second parameter is the whatever. old value yeah, yeah, yeah. and you do, you'd have to manually do that with an effect so gotcha yep so anyway but Earth. alpine 3 has both and it has the exact same like syntaxes and the same pros and cons if you want to well, run initially if you want an old you value, would like to convince my client that alpine is a good thing you nah. should feel free i don't like convincing people of things i know um yes dan cole mm-hmm. so that's view three there we go how do we get there <laughs> um we we're just talking about what i do for a living i think i don't know how we got there um but you should explore the functional stuff the functional view three paradigms yeah oh yeah i'm definitely gonna do that now i didn't even know that stuff existed so that's cool yeah Coming back into Vue after like, honestly, like two years of not writing Vue or whatever, three years maybe of not writing Vue. Mm-hmm. And I've just been writing either Alpine or React pretty constantly yeah. for most of that time. Um, it's like, oh, wow. It's kind of like returning to an old friend. Yeah. Um, but it's it's like returning to, um, it's like driving your first car that didn't have powered windows. You know, and you're like, it's nostalgic to be in this car. I liked this car a lot. Like, there's the cigarette burn in the passenger seat that I yeah. did. But, you know, it is a lot of work to roll these windows down. <laughs> yeah. um, but you can use, I mean, you could use Vue in a very, I still, like, Well, that's if what I I'm were... saying. It's like, it, of course, of course Vue has, like, gotten with the times. Otherwise, yeah. it would have died. Yeah. So, I need to figure out what Vue has done to get with the times and adapt yeah. my view style i gotta say though if i were to get back into the the life of a like 
JavaScript framework develop. You know what? I don't even freaking know. But I, w- I would be teased by React. I would want to like go whole hog on React. But React is whatever. really good. But but then again, like I don't know. I also think React is really bad. So <laughs> like right. I, Otherwise, I'm you constantly reminded how damn complex everybody's lives are who use React. <laughs> well, right. And I think most of that though is owning an spa spas are just bad yeah spas are just bad that's the thing like writing a react component that doesn't have like spa shit going on is right actually yeah a just joy. a react component it's that's so like fun. in charge of itself and yeah it's, it's a it's a joy it feels so good yeah even like a stack of react components that don't yes, need to make ajax right. requests yeah it feels so good it's just you start adding ajax requests and like handling data as it comes back at race conditions and all this other nonsense here's nonsense like, absolutely nonsense. yeah so yeah it's pretty cool i've i'm very uh the conversation we had with homeboy the other day about the uh deleting components stuff in livewire and yep. then jeffrey way tweeted about like uh if you have like a confirmed delete modal did you see this tweet? No. It was basically like, it was basically if you have this exact situation, how would you handle it? Like, where would you put things? Okay. Um, and um, I think I've just established that like my official position is that the data and all of the methods that modify the data and including any Ajax requests that need to happen should always live on the component called model.view, right? So like, if I'm gonna fetch, like if I'm, sorry, so if, or models.view if it's a list, right? So like, if I'm like fetching posts, right? And then I'm gonna display all the posts, that Ajax request needs to happen on posts.view, right? What are you talking about? What is posts.view? Uh, well, just oh, a ma- VUE? VUE, yeah. Word. Okay, gotcha. But like this is this is true of I anything. See, see. It's just like you wouldn't have Ajax requests outside of like Viewer React, right? I see. Um, but like if there's an Ajax request to make, if there's um, uh, something to delete, like whatever, like I think that I think that the it should always happen kind of like on the thing itself. Like I think a lot of people cause a lot more headaches than they need to by like pushing the ownership too far up the tree. Hmm. Um, trying to basically get like uh VUX or Redux ish, like high level state management for free, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, yep. Or by just sticking into VUX, which is so nasty. Um, yeah. I think just like, figure out a way to just have it where you're where you need it like if you've bought into this world of like we're gonna build a spa that's like obsessed with ajax requests yeah um swallow the pill that you gave yourself and just make an extra ajax request to have the data where you want it sure rather than like building a buggy mess so that you can make one less ajax request you know it is much more um like uh Oh, uh, yeah. It's much more like the React, I think, the like the React philosophy of like, you should be able to remove a component, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you should be able to, like, components are very, like, one component could be one developer, the other one could be a completely different developer, and the app's going to be fine. 
you know yeah exactly just like isolate your code from yeah d yeah yeah it's pretty tough man because the definition of, of the definition of component is so there's like there's basically there's like um domain components and then there's components haven't earned their keep as components they just use the component abstraction as it benefits them technologically right. well and that's the thing is you like know. and that's like a that's a bad vibe when you but get it's there. kind of like i mean it it's tough because like you could you could uh, there are definitely benefits like for example us like if you have a view component that manages a list of something it's helpful to have that the child in that list the the thing that's looped to be a child component so you don't have to deal with indexes everywhere you know sure and like stuff like that like that's a nice and paradigm. i think it should be a component yeah right and in in our like domain classification it would be like if you have like posts and then post item or whatever yeah yeah um, or just post. but yeah yeah but little stuff like think about like an icon component like that kind of thing like those are things that aren't domain components they're just right right it's helpful to have that abstraction so you're not just manually plopping an SVG yeah, yeah, yeah. so sorry i'm the thing that i was going to say is a bad scene is when you have components that aren't domain components that also have ajax requests that's when it gets really nasty yeah um yeah. because or when you're shoving those ajax requests into a, a larger abstraction like vuex yeah or just into like a weird parent component like posts page yeah 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 you have a posts page component. Yeah, i don't know dude it's like a dance man but I, I like it like take a yeah. take a preference and stand on it because i i dig it I think, i'm just saying like if you're gonna do you're... all this ajaxiness like at least be cruddy about it you know like at least <laughs> yeah. have like sort of like a a resourceful architecture to your components because otherwise what do you have you have nothing you have a completely destructured mess I think the biggest argument for it is knowing where to find that stuff. Like that's the liability, that's liable code. Like mm -hmm. the little like UI logic, that's not a huge liability. Yeah, the, who cares? Yeah. That's though that code is the real liability and to know where to find it is super helpful. And to be able to remove the component that is concerned with that liable code um, is is great so that you don't have like a a bunch of crap left over from stuff you like that you only you used in five plays before but now using one or you don't use it at all it's left in that big abstraction and then ev and then that abstraction has to conform to all the needs of all i mean it's the classic abstraction yeah, and not just that like also to be able to standardize a way of solving this incredibly common problem right like if your Ajax requests are all over the place, that means your solutions to the problem of like get a list of things, remove an item from the list based on an Ajax request, add an item to the list, and then update it with an Ajax request and optimistic yeah. or pessimistic UI and all of those things that you have about like lists and fucking with them with Ajax requests, yeah. right? If you don't always put it in the same place, you have to do totally different things to solve that problem every time, you know? And it's so much better to just say like, it's always in this place, which means it's always the same pattern. Uh, mm, yeah. So that like, I can legitimately just like copy and paste a feature, change the endpoint, change the name of the component and basically have it working. I just need to change like which fields are where and what the form is like and all that stuff. But like the actual structure of the like, here's the request, here's the response. Once you have the response, put this thing over here, you know, like all of that, like 
that you shouldn't be reinventing the wheel on every new CRUD resource. Like, yep. it's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah, I don't miss that life. Yeah, I mean, it's not my favorite, Basically, not my just favorite like, thing to do, but it is, it is kind of fun quests. to be writing JavaScript again. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. That's cool. Um, Dan Cole. Yeah, bud. So I popped open, I thought I was done with um, Alpine. Yeah. And I popped open a, uh, the JS Framework benchmark tool and created a new one for Alpine. Um, and uh, oh boy, I was not done writing Alpine. <laughs> was it really slow? Yes. What was slow? So remember how I, like I've been bragging how fast it is. You sure have. And it is fast. Can't and, shut off about and, it. And like right out of the, the gate, like if you like pair it next to view three, um, making a single change on the page, like of many things is, yeah. is like twice as fast. Crushes. Um, but however, so there's two points I want to make. First point is making an Alpine benchmark the same way you make a viewer react benchmark is square peg and round hole material mm -hmm. because those frameworks are templating frameworks. Mm -hmm. So Alpine is not meant to be the most performant templating engine. Okay. Because literally the only templating thing in Livewire is X4. Mm -hmm. You know? There's X well, you could say X, -text. X show and X text, but the only thing that generates markup, you know, sure. is is X4 and XIF, but nobody uses that. Um so yeah. So anyway, and those benchmarks solely use fours. Like that's it. Like the whole benchmark is creating a thousand rows and manipulating them, you know? Right. Which in Alpine is something you do not that often. Sure. You know, you're making, you're hiding and showing stuff. You're changing text. You're triggering events. You're listening for events. Like you're transitioning stuff. That's the stuff that you use Alpine for mm -hmm. because you use Laravel to generate the whole table, you mm -hmm. know? Um, anyway, so I, I do concede that. I'm not like, I'm not going after most performant um, front end web framework because I would have to sacrifice all of the extra nice things that Alpine is all about what you know? in what measure would you like to be faster than these other components oh i mean like, in, in the way like that give I, yourself the like give yourself the easiest competition in which to destroy these other components what is oh it? where am uh dude it's tough um it's in okay here's here's how i would destroy this is funny because this is the equivalent of me getting destroyed at an x4 you have a massive page, a massive static site, okay? And you use Alpine for a dropdown and a carousel and an email newsletter um, form. Like, so you use it in like five places maybe, mm -hmm. you know? Or even if you use it in a hundred places. But sure. they're in separate little like tiny parts, right? Mm -hmm. Alpine will destroy these other frameworks <laughs> because Alpine goes, when it initializes, it goes, Okay, we're using X data, X data. And then it grabs those things and it walks the DOM and initializes itself. Mm -hmm. Where if you're using Vue for that, you go, Vue goes, all right, well, let's build up the whole site. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> give me. So you mean initial render? Initial render, I would destroy the less you're using Alpine. So it's like, a, it's not a fair thing. But in the same sense, it's not fair to say that Alpine's main purpose is an X4 loop, you know? Sure. So in the. When you say like doing something once, Alpine's twice as fast as Vue, what do you mean? Oh, so if you have, like, let's say you're done initializing everything, no matter what it is, you've initialized it. 
Sure. And so let's say you have a, a table with a thousand rows and mm-hmm. you want to change the text of one of those rows. Mm-hmm. Um, in Alpine, that operation is extremely fast. Sure. So is there a way that it's you could... It's almost as fast as you can do it, you know? Is there a way that you could have a thousand rows that were not in a loop, right? But just a thousand yeah. explicit rows. Sure. In both frameworks. Yep. And change the text of all of those rows at the same time. See, the, the tough thing is... Would with, you beat them then? Mm, with Vue, even if you weren't using V4, you're still looping through a tree to generate all of those nodes. Mm-hmm. And when, when a piece of data changes, you have to still generate the entire virtual DOM tree of that component, you know? Okay. So I don't have to do that work. Sure. I just get to change the one thing that depended on it. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they had a thousand distinct values, right? So your X data had like a thousand distinct values, right? And then you had a thousand explicit like H1 tags that then echoed out the value, right? Yep. Um, And then you like, you put a function in both components, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. One in your Alpine, one in your view that like replaces all of those values in the data. Yeah. Right? And then all of those things are going to re-render with the new data. Mm-hmm. You're going to crush view in that metric. I think so. Okay. Now my question. Or at least be on, on parity. But I would think I would do. In that scenario, I'd have to think about it. But if you're only changing one of them, I'm, I would crush view because view would have to re-render everything. If you're changing every one of them, the cost would diminish. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? The difference would, would diminish. But go on. So now what if all of those things echoed the same piece of data? So you have a thousand explicit divs that are not in a V4 or an X4, right? Yeah. And each Mm -hmm. of them displays username, right? There's just one username and you're displaying it a thousand times. Right. Right. And you change username in one place. Yep. Is that better or worse for you than having a thousand distinct pieces of data? Oh, probably worse. Because I think Vue has some optimization stuff there. Well, at the end of the day... Here's the, the thing. At the yeah. end of the day, Vue has to, to literally call dot, uh, has to get every single one of those elements and call dot text content equals and change it. Mm-hmm. You know? And you don't, yeah. No, I do, I do the same thing. Oh, right. Everybody but has it, to Vue do that. Vue has to do other stuff day. too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So here's, so I've, I've basically, I've refined my, my answer about like Alpine performance is like the Holy Grail. Like at the end of the day, no matter what framework it is, you have to make the DOM mutations. Sure. That ha- that is the bedrock. Sure. So then it's all about how much are the frameworks doing on top of that. Right. You know, and it all depends on what you're doing, of course. But right. this is the thing like Dan Abramov talks about, like when, you know, people dog on React for not being like faster than Preact and all the whatever for saying it's slow, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I mean, his his thing's like, no, it's optimized for a specific type of application, sure. you know? And so it is totally one of those relativistic things that benchmarks, there is no perfect benchmark. It's all trade-offs. We're right. I, um, I understand that. What I'm saying is like, we've we've identified, I'm just like being like a hard ass on you here now, right? Yeah, right. Like, and I, I got we, sidetracked because I was about to answer a question. Because like we've got, we've identified a scenario that view is more optimized for than Alpine. Yeah. Right. Which is like a V4 full of things, right. View is going to beat you to the punch on that. Yeah. Um, Here, 
What's I the what's the thing that Alpine is more optimized for than Vue, where we're going to build it in both of them and Alpine's going to win? The thing I said, where you're changing one specific small So thing. lots of sort of small components on a page. Okay, so well... Which is let, definitely the type of application that Alpine's for, I think. With Alpine, there is kind of no such thing as a component anymore. Sure, sure, sure. But lots of little things that have their own X data. Little thingies, yes. If you're changing one little thingy, then Alpine is, is going to be... Uh, it should be faster than Vue for one small dinghy change. Sure, but, here's but, but that's not, but that's, you see how that's kind of like a lame goalpost, right? I'm saying like application type, like what's an application type, right? So Dude, like, it's, I mean, the application type, this is the thing. The application types are the same because when, when you're saying is Alpine more performant, what you need to say mm-hmm. is, is blade plus Alpine more performant. That's the actual question, you know? Sure, sure, sure is whatever you're using to generate the template because you're not writing an SPA with Alpine. It's basically mm-hmm. impossible. Sure. You know? Sure, so sure. You I'm can't just saying like, compare. talk about, talk about like a common interaction, right? Like, uh, like, a, 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 showing and hiding a dropdown, some state that shows and hides a dropdown. Right, right, right. Very performant. But like maybe something that like interacts with data, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like something that's mean? not just like toggling a class, you know? You could, some, cha- you could have a giant table that mm-hmm. would co- that you could generate. I don't know, man, because you could generate it with with blade to like seed it. I don't know. It's just different, dude. It's totally different. I mean, I I know it's different. Like it's apples to oranges. Of course. Any- so I'm saying we've ex- established the oranges case. Now tell me the apples case. Shoot the question again. Okay. So we can establish. Um, scenarios where Vue is going to eat your lunch, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and by eat lunch, it's not that crazy right, of a difference. Right, right, obviously, obviously. You know. But if we're doing like dick measuring contests between like speeds of yeah, modern yeah, yeah. JavaScript frameworks, we're already talking in degrees here. Yes. Right? Um, but like, so like obviously no one is, none of these is like drastically super, super, super like way the, faster. The disclaimer for the most part on this yeah. stuff is none of it matters. This is just for sport basically. Exactly. This is sport. Go on. Um, but like Vue's going to kick your ass on uh, sort of like big loops of data, right? Which we know is like a common thing in web apps where it's like a data table. Data table is like a good example, right? So like doing an operation on a data table like a sort or like a filter or like a, you know, these sort of common application activities that you do on like a big thing of data, which is like probably one of the more common like application actions that you want JavaScript to do is like live sort this data or live filter this data, right? Yeah. Vue's going to beat you on that. Yeah, sort of. It's going to beat me on generating the markup and initializing it. Okay. But like, I think I beat Vue... If you have that table of a thousand things, Vue will render it faster than Alpine. But then if you remove one of those rows, mm-hmm. it's either on par. I'm trying to think if it's on par or faster, but it's 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 there, mm-hmm. you know. So Alpine can remove one of the rows just as quickly as Vue can. Um, yeah. And what can it do more? Quickly and can swap it? two of the rows as quickly, you know. Yeah, I mean? yeah. So that's true. So maybe for sort renders, you might actually win. Maybe. Yeah. It, it would be very close. Here's what I learned. I learned that Alpine has an a, an upper bound or a lower bound 
um, on performance for us for this specific type of thing. Mm-hmm. Because it's taking the HTML you already have and not generating itself, um, it has to it has to crawl your your HTML. It has to crawl every attribute and detect if it's of an Alpine attribute and then initialize that that attribute mm-hmm. as its own thing. Mm-hmm. So I have an effect wrapping every single attribute mm-hmm. so that when anything changes, it changes. So that's beneficial later on when you're changing one small thing, you know, because mm-hmm. every, everything has its own little effect so that only that thing changes. But in view, the effect is wrapping the entire component. Sure. So you only have one effect. So the initialization cost is very low. Mm-hmm. And then view is, is generating the, um, the, you know, the uh, whatever JSON object, the virtual DOM. Um, and then generating the HTML right from that. So initialization is definitely faster in view. But in theory, when you change one piece of a view component, it has to re-render its whole self mm-hmm. virtually. Then it'll do the diff and make the patch change. Where Alpine is not bound in that way. When you make one change, only the things that depend on it change right. rather than the whole component wrapping it up, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the main trade-off. Um, yeah. In terms of internals, so, but dude, I but mean, in terms I, of like user land, like what's the, you, do you, I'm still asking the same question, but it's like, in terms I like of, I user, answered your question. So like Ask sort of again. specific, specific kind of like, so like doing the whole list you lose, but doing operations on individual items in the list you win or the same. Or it's the same. super hard to say because of just browser noise. Cause it's so close uh-huh. that that like there's just noise you know one page load could act differently than the next but mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah but it's, it's around the same sure I, w- I was just like trying to identify like what is the thing you optimized for right the, no, as the opposed thing to the that thing I that optimized they optimized for, for the thing that i optimized for is not um is using the html you already have on the page right like that's what it is basically because like now I realize that there is a better answer to the virtual DOM is useless. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, actually, it's freaking fantastic because it's so simple to, it's so performant to create a giant virtual DOM tree. Like mm-hmm. if there's one thing I'm coming away from this week with, it's that JavaScript fast, DOM slow. <laughs> yeah, DOM no good. <laughs> like like that. that's the easiest thing I can say is like, you want to optimize for performance? Like the more work you can do in for loops through data and stuff, like mm-hmm. it's going to be way faster um, than interacting directly with than the doing DOM. any. Yes, which so I've changed a lot of my strategies um, over the last week to to interact with data to flesh out as much as I can before patching before passing it to the DOM. Yeah, yeah. Like so, for example, the X four I rewrote entirely. It was so simple and beautiful. Oh, dude, you would have loved it. So it was my rewrite for X four and V three was so beautiful. But every change, but now it's ugly again. It it interacted with every element in the loop, mm. which is incredibly costly. Yeah. So now I do. I I wrote a whole diffing algorithm, specifically. Uh, well, of course, to make dude writing diffing algorithms is crazy too, because you're optimizing for different things all the time. Mm-hmm. There's no one true performant diffing algorithm. Um, but anyway, I did it because if I removed the one of the rows in the view benchmark it was basically instant and when i did it in the alpine benchmark it took just as slow as creating all the rows and i was like ah boy 
So anyway, so now right up front, I go through both lists of keys. I find which one to remove and they get picked out right away. Yeah. So yeah. that in data, so that you're only doing one DOM operation, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, so that that's really the thing. The big thing that I learned is like do as much in data as you can. And so to cap off my thing of like virtual DOM is good is because you can do so much just with basically creating virtual DOMs and memoizing components. Yeah, yeah. Like that's how React like is so fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you're working with your own DOM, you just can't. Like there's so many things that that like I just can't And this is do. kind of a major departure for you, right? Over time. Yeah. Like your opinion on like directly dealing with the DOM versus like having some kind of intermediate layer has like sort of shifted. Yeah, it, it was, um, I'd say it was naive. It was me thinking that it is true that at the end of the day, every framework has to mutate the DOM. So right. if you're doing it without a virtual DOM, you're doing it faster. And that's what Svelte is doing. Right. And Svelte, I think, is the fastest. Yeah. The fastest of the big boy frameworks. Mm-hmm. Svelte is like crazy fast. It's amazing. But for Svelte to achieve that, it has to do all the compiling itself so that it knows about everything. You know, where with mm-hmm. Alpine, I don't get to compile and I don't get to virtual DOM. So I've mm-hmm. lost both edges, you know? Mm-hmm. So then I'm left with, yeah, it's faster to mutate DOM stuff directly. But how do you, how do you know what's the process to get to know what to mutate, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing where I have to crawl the DOM like a fool and the other, you know, frameworks get to just generate it all. And then, gotcha. You know what I mean? So, so couldn't you have... And I don't, I don't know that much about Alpine internals, but like, couldn't you have not like a full virtual DOM, like reactor view, right? But like some kind of like a, a dictionary of like, and I'm sure you already have something like this, right? Of like, which a dictionary of like, which DOM elements have which dependencies, that's what um, Views Reactivity Library has internally. When you use a watch effect in Vue, or in my case, just effect, uh-huh. when you use that, we talked about this, that callback is put into a dependency map so that, um, so that when a reactive object that is wrapped in a proxy, when you make a mutation on the reactive object, it goes, let me quick look up in the dependency map and see mm-hmm. if there's any callbacks mapped to this. And if there are, I'll run those. So, so when you sense, say that yes. knowing what to change is slower. Yeah. Obviously that generate part, that part that is shared. Map. You have to generate that dependency map. Ah, it's shared, but I have to generate, I have to add an entry to the dependency map. Um, so first I have to crawl the DOM to uh-huh. get all of so, these but that's just an initial load, right? That's just on initialization. Right. This is the problem. And on X4, because I spawn those elements out of thin air, it's like I'm initializing them for the first time. That's why X4 is slow. Gotcha. Slower. So it's because it has to initialize where mm, view does not. You know? mm, 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 mm. I see. I see. I see. So couldn't you. Hmm. Now me. we're getting into DOM stuff I don't know about. Here's one fun little little optimization i made that saved me could a big, you just a generate the chunk. text of the dom do <laughs> no. you have to generate generate the nodes can you just generate well, so, the text and slap it in there 
so let's let's talk about this yeah Get, walk me through it because i i so think like I say i need say way. i have a ul and i've got like a million li's inside of it right yeah and yep. something changes about my data in some way or another right so yep. now i need to like update the list of li's right yep um mm-hmm. and so what you're saying is like okay what happens is i have to create a new dom node and initialize it so that i then have something to reference in my lookup table right so i think the experiment should be there's a u an empty ul and then there's a thousand okay. records added sure so you have an empty ul then you have a thousand records added right yeah so yep. you now need to initialize a thousand new dom nodes yep. right and then in the lookup table in views reactivity engine you have to add a thousand new entries more than a thousand and this is oh why. because uh, sure sure so a thousand times however many dependencies each one has yes okay new yeah. entries to that lookup table right yeah. but i don't even think that's the expensive part i think What's, that takes a toll uh-huh. for sure but i think the expensive part is that once i create that new dom element uh like if you have those li's and they have like a bunch of alpine within them yeah i have to dom crawl every single one of them sure you know, um, like not only am I creating the node, I'm crawling each node. Right. Where where view gets to just create But not before render, node. right? Like you st- the nodes are in the DOM and rendered before you're crawling them. No, I have to crawl them to initialize them to render them. Why, so this is my question is why can't you just render them as stupid non-alpinified objects? Right in the so, DOM, and then crawl them once they're rendered, and like yeah. Do so all let's the talk Alpine about this. Stuff. So all right. So the thought experiment is if you oh have, because then it's like v ifs and stuff like that, right? Like one of them could have a v if or a v show or whatever. Could have any slew of things. I would have to have some way of so. So let's say like what what you're suggesting is, can you take um, can I take the template tag, the contents of the template tag? Mm-hmm. And can I do some sort of pre-initialization where like I'm not registering event listeners or anything. I'm just getting it to like server-side render kind of thing, you know, like yeah, yeah. getting it to a rendered workable. Right. So the thing with that is, is that every list item is unique because you're looping through unique data. Mm-hmm. So I can't just use one template. I have to go through each one and I have to initialize each one and each one might have separate data or separate concerns within each one. Sure. You know? So I, I would have to take, I would basically, I would still have to loop through and walk the nodes one by one. You know what I'm saying? Right, but you would be able to do it in JavaScript, not in the DOM. I would have to do it in the DOM, right? Why would you have to do it in the DOM? I would have to create the element. Okay, so let's, let's no, no, say no, no, no. this. Let, let me, maybe let, maybe you're on something. Can I here. give you the pitch real quick? Yeah, 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 please. Okay, so you have a bunch of LIs. Every LI yep. has a V show on it, yep. right? Uh-huh. That's so okay. So let's just let's just ex- explain the data. So the data is an we, array. We could even just do an each LI has X text on it, just like that's it. Like it's like sure. item sure. item in items, and items is an array of foo and bars onto infinity, mm-hmm. and each LI is simply X text. X text, perfect, exactly. X text right? item, yeah. So you could. Um, 
Well, and then let's assume that there's also like an event listener that needs to happen. What, what, don't worry about that yet. Okay. Um, but like, say all these things also had like an at click on them. Yep. Right. So like an at click that then like, you know, does like alert X text also, you yep. know? So what we want to do Wait, is we, let's not do the at click for now. All right. Fuck the at click. Um, so we, what we want to do is loop through this thing, generate the text, like the actual string that is a list of LIs yep. with the things inside them, which we can do by looping JavaScript, looping this JavaScript object of X datas, right? Not okay. creating any nodes. And then here's the question is, can you then just slap that string into the DOM and then say like initialize all these things as DOM nodes now. You know what's pretty interesting? So here's how this could work. Because think about this. How am I going to, what does that function look like? What does it's, that pure JavaScript loop look like? Oh, it's what so easy. Then? It's just like data. So whatever the X4 piece of data is, right? Yep. So we say X4 data dot map, right? Yep. And then you return yep. a string that is the LI. Right. And then you do like a join on them. No, so how do I generate that li string? That's the key. Oh, it's 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 well, you took you take the template that you have, right? Okay. You have, I have the template. Yes. You have the template that they wrote. Yeah. You take the template. You replace the variables in it. Okay. So how do I do so that? X, so x text. So you I know. have to import. I have to import the node. Uh huh. But I understand that you're saying that, like, you in theory only have to import the node once, maybe. Mm -hmm. This is actually pretty interesting. Oh, if you interesting. Import the node so you and import the node. Oh and, boy, dude! You import the node, you initialize it. Here's what you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just import the node, you initialize you it, and then you the stick like a wild data. card, like a recognizable wild card with a key. Yep. In the X text section. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right, like in between the li and the slash li, you stick like okay. a just a crazy string that only Alpine will ever generate. Right. Right. Yeah. And then you have you now have a string that's like a wildcard string, and then you can just like string replace that that inner wildcard with the text. It's tough because uh, it this would this is interesting, but there's so many other directives besides X text. So so I don't think that that's going to work as a strategy. You know, like there's so many other directives. Sure, sure, sure. but no, no, but I think you could like the so the other directives that you need to concern yourself with. I think right. Are basically x show, x if. I guess you could could you have an x four inside an x four? Yeah, you could that's have an the x problem. data. You can do anything. Sure, 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 sure. So it's truly reinitializing. But look, consider this. Let's say up consider front, consider the ant you sluggard. I clone the template, uh -huh. so I have like a live DOM, not attached to the browser or to the yeah. document. You know, just a live DOM node of what mm -hmm. I need to initialize. And let's say I initialize it once. I initialize it once, yes. Then I, um, in the for loop, the first iteration, I, ooh, I initialize it once with the first iteration. Yeah. Up front, I capture the outer HTML string. Mm -hmm. Then I, in the next loop, instead of reinitializing it, I change the the one piece of data. So I manually like reach in 
and yeah. find that piece of data and I manually change it. So anything that relied on it map, right. would now update itself. So in, yes. And so then I generate the outer HTML again and I concatenate those all into one big string. Mm-hmm. And then I pile it all into a DOM thing and then I, and then I do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and is that I doable? Pop it in. But so then I would still have to um, initialize the whole thing mm-hmm. because none of those elements would have effects. So I would be well, lazy right. initialization, which is what lazy you're Lazy initialization, for. right. So, which is interesting. So it could be a lazy initialization. Um, but dude, there'd be so many interesting things because like you can't, you have to keep, you have to preserve elements, you know, for swapping and removal and stuff. So I would only do this optimization for the creation part, which is the slow part. Mm-hmm. So dude, this is very interesting. It so would it's com- like almost a virtual DOM, but it's sort of like a... Right. It's like a ephemeral yeah. virtual DOM for... It's very interesting. Yeah. I was... Uh, this is good. We should try this. I... This is very interesting. Um, I like it, Deke. I, I think I'm gonna... I'm gonna give it a shot and see if it's tenable. Yeah, because like... Because also just turning a string that big, I did a quick test to be like, is it more costly to generate... To take a template tag, concatenate a thousand of them text together and Mm -hmm. then create a dom node out of it which is more costly importing each one in a loop and um for that test i did importing every single um template element node in a loop a thousand times is much better than dot outer html dot concat and then dot inner html later but Hmm. dude but we'll but i i believe the expensive part is the initialization so this should in theory be not bad you know because hmm. if view is creating a thousand elements view has to create a thousand so the elements. question though is like we just solved it for x text right we but solved what? it for everything the way so we what just about did it. okay it's so what if the allies have an x4 on them that's fine because we uh because all the <laughs> this all the inner kind of crazy wait sorry go I ahead if it's better or worse um sorry yeah, no, it's better um, because in the next iteration, I take that live DOM node, the live Alpine chunk that depends on data on that one item, you know, mm-hmm. and I change that one piece of data and let the effects react. Makes sense. I let I let it react the way it normally would when you change something, mm-hmm. I, which means the fewer things that depend on that one piece of data, the fewer things, the fewer the... the lo- so consider this. If you have uh, an X4 with a huge LI inside of it, like an LI with a hundred nested components and texts and fours and everything, right, right. but there's only one element that actually depends on the data that changes from item to item. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So in that case... In, you've you've done the, you do all the work up front of initializing one of them yeah you know but then in every iteration of the loop all you're doing is changing the one piece of data and letting the n- reactive nature of everything take place so it will only make that one little change then you do the dot dot outer html yeah yeah, yeah yeah um so the question i now have is like okay with lazy initialization Mm-hmm. What happens if 
Like, is that actually a bad experience if it takes a long time? Right. So if the lazy initialization takes a long time, it could hold People up. People are going to click buttons and they're not going to get clicks. Right. So you could schedule it. So you could schedule the work so that like it happens in chunks. If there's a mm-hmm. thousand rows. You could do 10 rows at a time or 100 rows at a time. Something that feels instant. Yeah. But freeze the browser for people to click stuff. And you start near the top of the page. And you start at the top of the list. Yeah. You could also... Could you prioritize initialize? This is absolutely buck wild and probably a bad idea. But like, I would say also like maybe prioritize things that have at clicks. Oh, interesting. So uh, like, well, everything would have at click cause it's in a loop. No, no, no. But what if it has like a, a V if, and then show the child thing that has an at click on it. Oh, that's something. Yeah. Well, I imagine that would be a micro optimization that meant that most people wouldn't encounter. Could be wrong though. Like I would imagine that there's fewer cases where somebody has, it would have to be an X if, which I discourage the use of. Right. I almost didn't include it in Alpine 3. Um, so it would have to truly be an X if or an X for mm-hmm. that some nested components, that most nested components did not render. Right. You know? Or even that some did. That or, some did. Or right. even thing. that most, most did, didn't, but some, some did. It would be so micro level and I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's logical. But I think it's the next. Yeah, I think it's, it's a micro optimization. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. You, Dan Cole, you had a question you wanted to ask me specifically, right? Yeah. Can I blow through two other quick things? That yeah. We don't have to get too bogged down with. Yeah, yeah, I got like half an hour. Okay, let me just blow through the other things because I think you'd find it interesting, and I have nobody to share this stuff with. The, oh well, yeah. So I did the X4 optimization, which was fun. I do. I generate whatever. We don't have to get into that. Um, we'll just leave it at that. The other thing that's pretty interesting is mutation observer stuff. Yeah. So I use mutation observer in a pretty big way. Sure. Pretty do. heavily. And we should one, get a little thing, bell that we ring every time you say mutation observer. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna take a shot every time. Yeah. Um. So, Dan Cole, this is these are the fun ways I use it in now. Yeah. Every new element that's added to a page. Alpine will pick up and initialize. Sure, it will. Because of the mutation server. Yep. Including elements it adds itself, like okay. X4. So in my X4 code, all I do is create the element and then I let mutation observer pick it up and initialize it. Okay. Same thing with XIF. Okay. Which is a ton of fun. Yes. Because it allows me to completely isolate the areas that actually are in charge of initializing stuff. Right. Okay. Yes. Makes sense. In current Alpine, I actually, like, in my v- in X4, I, like, pause the mutation observer, then do the X4 rendering, and then resume the mutation observer. Okay. But I don't do that. So I really like that. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mutation observer is costly. Yes. And I found out that it's not even just the handler that's costly. Like, you doing a bunch of loops. Like, if there's a thousand mutations and you're looping through that. Yes. That's, that's not the costly part. It's just the existence of the mutation observer. Okay. Makes sense? Why is that costly? I don't know. It's just, I guess, because browsers have to do a bunch of extra work to track mutations. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. So the more, like, you you can rig up a mutation observer that just listens for changes to one element, 
or you can optionally tell it to listen to changes to every element within itself. Mm-hmm. And you could imagine there's a there's a cost difference there. Sure. So I found out that um, I I was just like, what if I disconnect the mutation observer before I do a DOM mutation and then reconnect it? Okay. You know, and so remember, remember I was saying pause and resume mutation observer from Alpine V2. Mm-hmm. Really, all I did is just set a flag true and false. And then in my handler, I return early or not. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. But it's still slow, like I'm telling you, because mm-hmm. regardless of your handler, just having the mutation observer there is slow. Sure, sure. So it turns out. So are you basically can... like serializing the mutation observer and throwing it somewhere and then removing it and then re-adding it? No, you don't even. So the mutation observer is just an object that you create and you can connect and disconnect it at will. Oh, by just calling connect and disconnect. That's nice. So I was like, what if I disconnect it before the for loop, then reconnect it after? And much to my surprise, it was great. Like it's, it's as if the mutation observer didn't exist performance wise. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fantastic. Like that, uh-huh. that honestly is the, that's the big, big reveal win. how awesome that is. Big win. And then I thought like, okay, but what about all the other little mutations that Alpine makes along the way? It's like, what if instead of just wrapping the whole X4 in the, in the don't observe type deal, what if I literally disconnect the mutation observer before I do anything to the DOM ever in Alpine and then reconnect it immediately after? Mm-hmm. Even if there's, if there's an X4 with a thousand items, what with a thousand items with 10 directives in each of those items. Remind me what this mutation observer is watching for. Um, removal or addition of attributes to the DOM. Uh-huh. And removal and addition of elements to the DOM. Okay. So if you... Oh, but you only care about those coming from places that aren't you, Alpine. Yes. Okay, gotcha. So that's why I'm it's, in charge of the things. Right. I'm doing. So there's no reason for you to observe your own mutations. You only care exactly. about observing the mutations of others. Yes. Okay, so is there a potential for a race condition where you turn it off and you are muting the DOM, but someone else is muting the DOM at the same time, and then you turn it back on and you miss a mutation? No one else can mutate it at the same time. DOM is only one mutate at a time. Yeah, it's just like JavaScript code. Like, I disconnect it, mm-hmm. I do a bit of code, and then I reconnect it. Dope. And I have found, so it totally is wacky, because mutation observer the mutation observer doesn't call the handler until all the code is finished running before a repaint. So it has this internal queue of mutations. So when I was doing this like disconnect and connect in like, you know, four lines of code away, mm-hmm. it just wasn't behaving properly at all. Um, it was dropping all the mutations. So I learned that the mutation server has an internal queue that you can access of the mutations. Mm-hmm. So you can literally call take mutations, I think, or take records on the observer and it'll give you all the mutations in the queue in an array. Mm-hmm. And then you can manually call your own handler. So whatever. It's an optimization I made so that I can effectively pause the mutation observer, disconnect it, mm-hmm. do work, and then reconnect it. How good is this optimization? So good. Like, it's invisible. <laughs> so no, but I, I, mean, I now speed, have... A, like, what, how, yeah. what performance benefit are you getting? As, huge what were you what was the problem before like how bad was it before so i was it was like initializing a thousand rows with stuff inside of them was like 500 milliseconds like a half a second yeah 
with this, it's like 300 milliseconds, sometimes less. Word. So it just bought me 200 milliseconds on an operation like Free. that. And so, and it's, I just, the thing that I can't believe, A, that it's possible. Mm-hmm. B, that it's fast enough that you can disconnect and reconnect like a thousand times You know what I can't believe is that they actually fine. give you that API to connect and disconnect. That makes sense just because I know it from day one. It's like how you use it. You have to connect it in the first place. Right. But it's it's just interesting that it's not like, I don't know. It's just like a nice API for it to be on the thing itself rather it than being on the parent where you have to like remove a certain thing from a list or something like that. Like I would expect there to be like an array of mutation observers and you would have to go like filter that array and find the one that you wanted to remove and then remove it. Right. You know? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it is kind of nice in that way. Um, it is also, the thing that I didn't expect was being able to access and flush that mutation queue myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought like this is some deep internal browser thing that I'm screwed because I'm using it in a way it's not supposed to be used. Mm. Dom kind of like, good. Dom, oh. Dom very, so what we've learned today is Dom very bad, virtual Dom not so bad, uh, but then also Dom kind of good. Decole. Oh, boy. My wife is texting me. Can you filibuster here for like three minutes? Two yeah. minutes. Three to two minutes. I can filibuster for three to two minutes, I think. All right, people of the world. It's me. It's your boy. It's Daniel. You can grab it. Let's talk about some things. I really was not prepared to filibuster here, so let's... No problem. You don't have to. Oh, great. That's awesome, Caleb. Thanks for saving me from that because I did not have a topic. <laughs> great. Because I, so, can't, I can't talk about JavaScript tutorials by myself is the thing. I know. <laughs> so that, that's a mutation observer thing. I just wanted to report that, that like now Alpine has this like everything. It's just, I just don't feel guilty about my DOM mutations now. They're just yeah, so they're free. clean. They're free. They're as costly as DOM mutations are, yeah. which is kind of costly. DOM no good. Dom no good. But now Dom not so bad. Now Dom not so bad. Here's the other quick optimization that I'm, I'm going to force you to make me explain to you. Uh-huh. Sure. Happy to do it. Generating, you know how Alpine has string expressions in attributes, like at click console.log foo. Mm-hmm. It's string mm-hmm. that I have to convert into a JavaScript function. Sure. And you do that with eval. Okay. But I don't, I don't use eval. We don't have to get into it. But let's just pretend that I'm using eval. Sure. Okay. What I'm actually doing is generating a function, JavaScript function from that string that I could call later. Sure. But that's expensive. Like it's, it's, um, it's not as expensive as a DOM operation, but it's much more expensive than just, you know, walking an array in JavaScript. Okay. You know? So I was like, why don't I, because I've isolated all that logic now, why don't I just do a quick cache that every time you generate an expression or every time I generate a function from an expression, I just have a key value store of expressions and functions Mm -hmm. so that basically it's memoized now. So if you have a for loop with a thousand items, I'm only generating all the expressions once. I would just, you know, re-evaluating those strings as functions for each of the items. I'm sorry, I'm confused. What, What were you doing as opposed to having a key value store? Um, I mean, literally, I take the expression, I have a function called generate evaluator from string, mm-hmm. where I 
return a JavaScript function that's generated from a string. And then where were you putting that thing? Oh, you're just calling it and returning it. Oh, so I see. So you were you were actually generating the evaluator in As real time. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yep. But I'm like, wait a minute. In a for loop, you're generating all the same functions, just passing different arguments with different scope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can generate, I can do the difficult work of generating, the expensive work of generating those functions. Once. Only the first time. Yeah. You know? That's so, good. Anyway, That's I was good pumped about that. That yeah. was an easy, low-cost easy optimization. Win. Easy win. So thank you for listening to all my optimization talk, Daniel, because it's been a wild week, I yeah, tell you. You've been optimizing. So, okay, so in the long arc of history, right? One more. Can I give you one more? I know you're hating this, but this is so I, I fun. Love it. I love it, Caleb. This is, what, this, is what, this is what we like. I enjoy this because, you know what, Caleb? You're like a cosmonaut into the world of bullshit micro-optimizations yes. of the DOM. Yeah, and, like finding all this weird stuff. Yeah, and like, listen, everyone says they want to go to space, but a lot of people don't actually want to go to space. They just want someone to yeah. have gone to space and told them about space and been like, I didn't see God, I didn't see aliens, right? And then yeah. come back, right? That's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the dumb, tell me what's there, you know, and then <laughs> that, way, report that way, if I'm ever called upon to go to space, I'll know what to expect when I get there, right? I'll yep. know that you can connect and disconnect mutation observers at will, right? That's I've never written a mutation observer in my goddamn life, Caleb. Yeah, I know. And I'd like, I'd like to <laughs> never know. write one. Right? You, you know? don't need to. I'd like to never write a mutation to. observer. But if I'm ever called upon to write a mutation observer, I'm going to be so much better at it now because you hell went yeah. to hell and I now know about mutation observers. Hell yeah. So anyway. Here's one quick one for you. You sure wrap up an array in a proxy okay uh-huh uh boy can i just can we just open with i don't get proxies i've never Dude, written proxies a proxy are so either. easy we need to we need can to we end just, this right can now you just explain proxies to me real quick let's do it right, right. now can we, what is a proxy caleb it's a decorator <sighs> okay that intercepts gets and set calls that's it okay what decorates anything you want and sure. you can intercept get and set okay why is that good Oh, um, because you can be aware, you can be notified, you have a way of hooking into when somebody accesses a value or mm -hmm. sets a value. Okay. Yes. And so then you could mutate that value before setting it or returning it. Is that basically the point? Well, I mean, or you like, could do some side effect in the, right. You can do a side effect okay. or you can make in the case of views reactivity engine, you're making a, a note mm -hmm. in the case of every reactivity engine, you're making a note saying, Hey, this person is Some, accessing this property. I know the I know the object they're accessing yeah. and the property they're accessing. Anyone so I'm going to put a little note about this. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put a note that like, okay, now in the set thing, okay, I'm intercepting the set. I know the object and I know the property. I'm going to look up. Hey, did, did did any call? Did anybody try to access this recently? Yeah, yeah. Okay, if they did, then whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's useful for a bunch of other things, like sure. You can you can create ob crazy things like an object that responds to any bespoke property, like an object that you can call any property on, and it will respond as if that property exists. Sure. And you get to decide the logic for how it responds. Sure. That's cool. Which is so fun. Yeah, you know? it's very cool. But that's pro does that make sense? It's very simple. It makes great sense. So here's a very interesting thing. Okay, so you wrap an array. You in wrap a proxy. an array in a proxy. Yes. Now you call dot shift 
on that array. On that array, sure. Which is going to take the first element of the array out. Yep. Yep. And you console.log all the gets and sets that happened on that array. Uh Uh-huh. And what do you expect to happen? Walk me through. If I, so if I, I have, have no idea what <laughs> happens when you call a method mm, like shift just a on a proxy. You're just, there's no such thing as a method. You're just getting a property that returns a function. Getting a property that returns a function. And then you're calling that property. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yes, sure. So I would expect there to be a get for yep. the item dot shift. Yes. And that's it, kind of, you'd think. That's what I would think based on but the information not, you've given me. <laughs> right. That's not the case. That's what you get first. Then you get like a ton of other gets and sets. It gets like JavaScript internally is using your proxy instead of the array. Oh, and it's so like then it gets all the items in the array and then it removes Dude. one of them and so then it sets all of them in an index one yes. earlier than the index that they were at before yep it That's gets it, there's a it intercepts got dot length calls so there's like a bunch of dot length calls then there's a bunch of sets to oh, reset gross. every item so it, it just kind of showed me that like oh holy crap like this stuff's super inefficient like yeah yeah like calling shift on an array is not a cheap thing to do. You're literally changing every single item in the array. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And yeah. so I found this, this, this is the, the brief, the preface to when I first ran the benchmark, so I hit generate it. Sorry. Can I just go ahead? Go ahead. Can you just say, let, I know that there's like a, is there like a dot value on proxies or something that gives you the unproxified version of the thing? You, there is a, um, a target target that yeah that's an underlying what that's object what right yeah so could you just say um so whatever equals whatever dot target dot shift and then just skip all that bullshit sure you could definitely you, so you that. just shift it in non-target space and then slap it back in yep that's what you i would totally do. do that dude that's pretty interesting so here's why i came with this dude I ran the benchmark for Alpine. Mm-hmm. I generated a thousand rows. Sure you did. Then I tried to remove a row. Mm-hmm. And the removal code in the benchmark is like data.shift, mm-hmm. you know, just like shift the first one off. Mm-hmm. And it crashed the browser. And the reason being is because Views Reactivity Engine logs every single one of those gets. Yeah. So it's and each calling of those gets effect. does like a fractal number of other things. Dude, it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I went so deep. I source dove every bit of views reactivity engine and every bit of views reactivity, like how view uses it in its core to figure out why is view not crumbling when it does a shift. What does view do? View has a scheduler that detects if an effect is being run multiple times and batches them together. So I had to write my own one of those. Or you could have just done the cool thing, which is call that shift. Just don't call that shift. They own the proxy. I'd I'd have to. Oh, they own the proxy. You don't own own the the proxy. proxy. Yeah. And I'm not about to get in the business of double wrapping proxies, if you know what I'm saying. Mm Mm-hmm. You never double bag. So thanks for uh, thanks for going along on this journey. That's cool. I I learned several things, so that's fine. I feel I'm smarter now than I was before. You're so smart. Yeah. I'm getting smarter every day. Smarter every day. Uh Uh-huh. Great show. Um, 
you didn't you say you had a thing you wanted my opinion on? Yes. What is that? Because we've got 17 minutes. Let's, let's okay. say. Alpine V3 is going to have plugins. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I've seen them. I've seen the API for them. We wrote the API for them, didn't we? We did. I love yep. that API. Yes. That's the certain type of plugin. Yeah, dude. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. No, people are just going to find out at Alpine Day. That shit's sick. Yeah, cool. Um, Dan Cole. Yeah. Which I never really truly updated you on on what I landed on, which is pretty good that you'll like. Good. Um, the optimization that we talked about, you know, wink, mm-hmm. wink. Daniel, the plugins are in a mono repo with the main core Alpine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Alpine V3 is going to be version 3.0.0. Mm-hmm. So the for the users, versions? for the user and the listener, when you say plugin, what do you mean yeah. by plugin? Because people, oh, the initial be ex- assumption is like user contributed plugins. Yes. And those are going to be okay. in a mono repo. Uh, but th- these ones are going to be core. Th- there's going to be a set of core plugins. So one of them is going to be XDCol. X what? XDCol is one of the plugins. Okay, sure, sure, sure. So like you don't have to have XDCol in your Alpine build, you know, right, but right. if you want, you could add XDCol so for an you extra can kilobyte. You remove it, right. Yes. They're in a so we have this XDCol mm-hmm. that um, that when you include it on a page it's actually decol. and the user and it comes into scroll view mm-hmm. it plays um an e-sig sound mm-hmm. like a vaping yeah yeah so this plugin mm-hmm. the big question i have is how do you version these plugins do i keep them in step with alpine versions are you getting or into just, like uh sub module or uh modules tree modules and all yeah. that other stuff like what am i gonna do it's gonna be hell like, dude it's a pro con dude like if i if i make them all in step uh-huh so it's one version uh-huh that's great but uh-huh. if one of the plugins needs a breaking change upgrade yeah it has to wait till alpine gets an entire breaking change upgrade sure um why don't you why don't you stop putting them in a mono repo i don't think i'm prepared to do that <laughs> because there's no difference like let's let's just pretend that oh, the tech then part you of would, it's easy. Then you would have a package JSON, and then if that had an update that then had a breaking change, it's, you you have still the problem. Well, the problem isn't a technical problem. NPM workspaces are pretty good. Like every one of these plugins has its own package.json, its own dependencies, uh-huh. and its own version. Uh-huh. It's up to me uh-huh. how I want to version them. Yeah, it's more of a semantics issue. More of a semantics issue. Okay, I understand. So it's like. Do you understand the the, the pro con of, of yeah, keeping I, so the versions in step? Yeah, I don't not. think you actually have a problem. You should just keep the versions in step. So what about this? No, these the Alpine core is solidified. Sure, you know the so API these plugins, is very. My official position is that these plugins are part of the Alpine core. So the if yeah, okay. if one of these plugins needs a change, then that is a change to Alpine core interesting because so then because <laughs> it's like if if taylor goes like oh like what if like illuminate support database needs an update then i have to push a breaking change to laravel well, i think of it more like what if laravel dusk needs an update yeah well that's not a in a mono repo with laravel but it easily could be it's the same yeah, it's but the it's same definitely sort of not because that's a terrible idea no because dan cole mono repos are great <laughs> Trust me. Not when you have this exact concern that you have, then they're really not great. I don't see why it has anything to do with the mono repo at all. 
I shouldn't have even said monorepo. All right. This is it's pure, not about like, monorepo. It's about shipping. So it, Dusk is an unrelated piece of code from yep. Laravel, right? Yeah. If you ship unrelated code yep. in your thing, you are limiting your ability to update that unrelated code without updating your main thing. You yeah. don't want to entangle unrelated code with your code. However, you super want to entangle core code that happens to be in a plugin for convenience sake. Well, some of this isn't necessarily yes and no. Like let's say let's say what is um, the, what view is the view least router. core? What view is and the view least... router and view X. Sure. No, examples. let's talk about Alpine. What is the least core of your plugins? What is the one plugin that you're like, I might want to just randomly update this one one day and XD call. No, give me a real name. I don't want to. Why? Because it's the secrets. Okay, well, Caleb, we can't talk about this. We can't talk about this. <laughs> no, we can. We can use analogies. I think a good analogy is view, view X, and view router. I think those One are of them, really bad analogies because you have no, nothing like that in Alpine. You don't know. I X know, X router Caleb. is coming soon. <laughs> X, 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 U, X. Um, Dan Cole. Yeah. Okay. A global store. A global a store. A global store. Uh-huh. Yep. Yes. So Alpine.store. Yeah, that should be a third-party plugin. Or a first-party so uh, first separate plugin. It is in core because it's cheap and easy, and I'm going to put it in core. Okay, cool. But let's so just it's pretend I'm going to put it in a, a plugin. Okay. Dude, that's a tough one because that's one that I actually decided to put in core. Yeah, so that's the thing. You either decide to put it in core or you decide to put it in a separate okay. dependency. What about this? What about a plugin that... Um, it's either in core like, or people have to about, install it themselves. Ooh. What about a responsive aware plugin that you can do like X hyphen SM yeah, or something? That's great. That should be a plugin that if someone needs that, they can install that. Right. And that needs to be in step with Alpine's versioning? No, because they're installing it separately from installing Alpine. Right. Okay. So you're saying that it should have its own independent version? Yeah. It should be its own independent NPM package. It will be for sure. Yeah. And it should not be published as part of Alpine. No, 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 no. I'm saying here's the thing, Daniel. Here's the if thing. If you're on Alpine V, if you're on Alpine V3, uh huh, and I and you're using X, uh, whatever, um, what did I just say? X uh, responsive or something? Mm -hmm. If you're using X responsive and Alpine, mm -hmm. in your mind, you're using the same tool. You're just including an extra thing. Now. When Alpine, let's say that there's a crucial change that I need to make mm -hmm. to X responsive that's going to fundamentally change its API. Yes. Now you're like, now you have to know mm -hmm. that X responsive changed its version. You have to independently update that. And now X responsive, if Alpine changes, has to support both versions of Alpine. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, so this weird for major version, you should keep the major versions in sync. Okay. So two, 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. You should keep uh, those in sync. And then you can publish right. minor versions of things. As long as the dependencies are updated in the package JSON, you're good. Right. Okay, I like that. But it still suffers from the problem of these plugins. So Alpine's API is fleshed out and I'm confident in it. Yes. I don't feel like I'm going to need to break it anytime soon. Sure. These plugins haven't been out in the wild at all. Yes. And I haven't thought through every nook and cranny of the APIs. So it's like, I feel like I need like a solid 
beta year or something, you know? It's like, I don't just want to, because I feel like I'm going to want to break it sooner, uh -huh. you know? So, my so you're saying are, don't, you're saying, you're saying you don't want to call the version 3.0 because it's not 3.0. Well, I could even do that. It's just that what if I feel like, oh my gosh, we need to make this break and change this API because I never tested this in the wild. Yeah. So oh, now I got to wait till next. No, you, no, no, no. You can just make that breaking change. What do you mean? Then I would have to version bump it a major version of 4.0. Yeah. So I don't think that's what you should do. I think you should base Agreed. the versions of the plugins on the version of Alpine that they require. Okay. Right. But what if there's a breaking change in one of them? Then I think you should push 3.1. Interesting. So then, so the minor versions, but this is, you understand what I'm saying here? Like I do I'm understand. I'm creating my own bespoke versioning system, which is a yeah, cost yeah, it's not great. It's not great. To mental overhead plus. But like, what, what does Laravel do? Or what does Vue, what do the, all these other people do? So Vuex is like a separate Yeah, so fuck thing. Vuex then. So what does Laravel do? So I think they have independent versions. All right, so what's the... Like, yeah, maybe the versions don't matter at all. Maybe you just don't Daniel, entangle the versions at all. you're in that zone where you're like dismissing the problem. No, like no, 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 no. I'm, like I'm, I'm not dismissing the problem. I'm trying, I'm, what I'm trying to get to is like, I don't think this problem should exist. Right? Okay. And so my initial solution was like this one. Now I'm saying maybe they just have separate versions. And as long as your package JSON dependency versions are up to date, right? Here's the problem with them having separate versions in my mind. Sure. You as the user of these plugins, mm -hmm. like you said, your mental image is that like, it's all one thing. Like you're kind of using them in step, mm -hmm. you know? And then when Alpine puts out a new big thing, like they're all going to get updated. <sighs> so tough. All dude. right, Caleb, here's the thing. Here's what it is. No, 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 when no, 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 Okay, okay. Here's the yeah, thing. Cool. Here's the thing. Okay. Separate repos for Alpine versions. So okay. Alpine responsive three is the name okay. of the repo and the name of the package. Okay. Version one of okay. Alpine responsive three. <laughs> Why is this good? Why is it not good? It's so much extra stuff to keep track of. Okay. We'll go install the, so you inherit a view two project, right? Yeah. Go install the version of, view select or some random thing that fits with your version of view like how are you going to know except that most of the time on the docs pages they say like if you're using version two of view click here and go to the docs for that one right yeah but like my gut says you're you know like why not just have like a separate thing so if you go to Vuex, it's currently in 3.x. So there is Vuex 4, which works with Vue 3. Cool. If you're looking for docs for Vuex 3, which works with Vue 2. Yeah, if you wanted to call in on the show about Vue 2, you should have called in on the show about Vue 3. Yeah, dude. It's, it's like, I, I want the mental model to be simple. Ideally, it's all in step. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to worry about a thing. You, you just use... The plugins yeah. you want, and you don't you use the ones you don't want. You just need to create your own versioning system then. 
I think, for that to work. Well, I don't see how that solves the problem necessarily because the thing is... You basically just like move the breaking change thing by one decimal point. But now I have to like... So let's say that I change the main... Th- in X-Responsive, it's XSM. Mm-hmm. And we decide it's crucial to call it X-Small. Mm-hmm. Okay. So without changing the major Alpine version, mm-hmm. I have to communicate this change. So now the documentation has to have a different version. So now the docs for that plugin have to have their own versioning system. Mm-hmm. And they have to know which versions of Alpine they support. Wait, wait, wait. And there has to be a change log and an upgrade guide. Whoa, and you have to whoa, only update this. No, 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 you know no, no. what I mean? Why they would... If you just change this thing and it's a breaking change, right? Yeah. And you change like XSM to X small. Yep. And you just push it, right? It's a breaking yep. change. You push it to 0. 0.1, 3.1 or whatever. Sure. The versions of Alpine it supports don't change. Right. Yep. So why is that an issue? Not an issue. But you threw it in um, the list like it was an issue. <laughs> I think because, <laughs> because if, if Alpine updates to a new major version uh-huh then yeah then i guess then then the versions that these plugins support become different like the latest version would have you know what i mean it's like it's a it's a many-to-many lookup instead of a one-to-one that's what it is knowing which version of alpine supports which plugins and which plugins support which versions of alpine well as long as you make sure that there is always a plugin with the same major version number as every major major version right. of alpine then it's one-to-one so let's say that that's the case. Sure. Okay. So we'll create the one-to-one mapping in that way. But the breaking change scenario, you, a developer, you have to be aware that there's a new addition or change mm-hmm. and upgrade your individual um, version of that plugin, which I guess is just the cost of doing business. Yeah. Well, how would you know in another situation? Mm-hmm. If a different versioning system were around. Um, because there would be no breaking changes until a major version of Alpine came out. And then right. it would be all part of the same thing in the upgrade guide. Um, well, what about some other plugin that wasn't a first party plugin? I mean, that would just be a separate project with its own versioning system that would just do what you're saying, which is it would support the versions of Alpine. Yeah, but there's, lots, there's also lots of third-party Laravel plugins that peg their version to the current Laravel version to communicate easily to users. I wouldn't say that. I would say like orchestral test bench maybe, but I don't yeah, know and if I that I think does that's it, like a I... really good and useful paradigm. Interesting. So I think it's good to just communicate like, hey, the version number of this thing tells you which version of that thing it supports. Interesting. So is it cool to have like is three dot if three dot two is a breaking change from three dot one for a plugin, mm-hmm. is that okay? What if you just do like, a different thing? What if instead of dots, you just do like three colon zero dot nine, three colon zero or one dot oh? I don't know. I mean, that's fancy. I don't know if I want to get into weird stuff. Yeah. Okay. With with versions because of like npm and stuff, you know. Right. 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 I don't know if I want to like tempt fate there. It's interesting though. All right, so where are you leaning? Make everything an independent version and just have a list of like 
just make sure they support the current version of Alpine. And then in my docs for every single plugin, I have to have a version lookup, right? Like this seems like a nightmare. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's that important to like document like obscure random versions of the your plugin. You don't think so? No. Like just be like, use the latest Major version. versions. Yeah, maybe major versions, but like maybe not. You know what, Daniel? I think that I need to make what if you them just... all major version step with Alpine so that I don't have to worry about any of this. Yeah. And I just need to commit to not breaking changes. And if I need to, queue them up for a big major release. And put all the docs in the readme of these plugins. Oh, interesting. So that, Oh, interesting. So that like people can just go watch the docs change with the versions. Like go look at the releases. If you want to see interesting, the so these would be in a mono repo, which doesn't mean you can't have a readme in the like view has a readme in its mono repo packages okay. has readmes for different readmes. I love this idea because wow, that makes life easy. And it, and, it, and it's like a homage to the origins of Alpine having the docs in the readme. Yeah. So like, let's say in the sidebar of the docs, there's all the new docs pages and everything, but the plugin ones when you click them, it takes you to the readme page. Mm-hmm. Very what if even you wrote a little bit of code that. with the GitHub API to pull all of the releases and put them in a dropdown? Right. Oh, sure, yeah. And pull all of the readmes and put them and just render the markup on the page. And then you actually have the readmes are managed by Git. That's pretty interesting. And you could just like have it in browser there, but you only need to worry about them in one place. Right, and I could start with just linking to the readmes, and then when I grow yeah. up, I could if I could pull up, yeah. the if I ever grow up, pull the readmes, pull the versions, put in a drop down. Like that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Daniel, I feel really good about this because now I can only use a readme file again for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's dope. Readmes are good. Readmes are good, readmes and are it's great. all gonna be version in step, just like Lodash. Like it's not like oh, what if the do- I mean, this is a bad example, but that's a terrible example. Whatever. The versions are all going to be in step so that it's all one. It's all gets changed at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm going to do is any plugin that I release, I'm just going to start with the most minimal API and not and not get into extra APIs before yeah, they're yeah. well established. well established as yeah. Speaking of which, um, you know what is missing from JavaScript ES6? Like many of the things that we used to do with like Lodash or underscore or jQuery even have been like addressed as like ES6 native things, sure. right? You know what's yep. not is without. Remember array without in Lodash? No. What's that? You could just say that without it, a specific item. Without a specific item. It was so nice. I know. I, you know, and I wonder, like I doubt there's, I mean, the thing to do is the, dot filter yeah, I, I did that arrow, yesterday I, I didn't like it yes i don't like it either because it feels so not performant but i imagine it's the same performance yeah but I, just give me the api that says without i know i'm with you it's just come on i just don't like feeling that i have to re reassign the array to a filtered version of it that does not feel good to me yeah well i don't mind that part i just mind having to write yeah, a I callback suppose. i just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't make me write a callback for removing an item that I can define 
right? It's like an array of strings, and I'm saying remove the one of these strings that is this. Right. You know what I think is missing in ES6? Hmm. The ability to assign a variable in line. Why can I not Oh, like say, inside of like a if? Inside a parameter or something, you know what I mean? Like, why can I... Yeah, it's like... I know it's one of the like most frustrating things because it's, oh man, JavaScript is so clean except for that. That's not clean. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate, um, I appreciate this episode quite a lot, Dan Cole. Thank you. All right. Yeah. I think it's time to cue the outro music. (laughs) 